podcast, The Alchemy of Transforming Trauma. Hey! Today, what we're going to talk about is alcohol and yes. addiction and recovery. Yeah, and we're doing it from the comfort of my living room. Which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, because we're not doing it on Zoom today, which is really nice. I get to actually look at Jude's beautiful face in the flesh. I would reach over and touch you, but I might touch the mic. <laughs> my brand new shiny mic that I've got especially for this. Oh my it's, God. It's a real treat. <laughs> it's a real treat. And it's massively fanic. I just have to name that. <laughs> I mean, I may become distracted, but maybe not. I'm sure we'll both become distracted at various points, Jude. <laughs> <laughs> Big shiny silver. Yes, right, okay. <laughs> Morning. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's a weird time, actually. Yeah. The weather's really changed, and I think that makes a big difference. It's gloomy outside, and it's chucking down with rain. I love the rain. Don't get me wrong. I'm from Manchester, and you have to love the rain if you're from Manchester because yeah, you've yeah. got no choice. <laughs> You'd just be spending your whole time suffering if you didn't love the rain. But it's a bit of a change from what we've had, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for it, because I've been in quite a lot of tension, because I've just moved out of a place, and... It always feels like it's going to be okay, but it's actually quite a big job and I do it a lot, but it's quite a big thing. And so it's really nice to be here. So actually the rain coming feels like a bit of a release to me and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah. And I'm just landing. I know. Yeah, I'm the same. So processing and landing always oh. never stops, does it? I know. Fun, fun, fun. So given that we love all this shit... <laughs> We're in good. We're in our own good hands today. Absolutely. So, and and alcohol has been such a huge part of my life, and still is in some ways. And so we're going to be talking about alcohol recovery. There's a load of different methods out there. We're going to be talking about our opinions about some of that. We're not, again, as always, we're not trying to be the experts, but I'm well opinionated, so I'm going with that. Yeah, I am opinionated, but I'm still one of those people that is um, still sometimes questions my own judgment about things and whether yeah. my judgment is valid or real. And and so I, I'm still formulating my full views on the whole subject of modalities of recovery. But I know what's worked for me. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd really love to share about that because I think it's really important to share that there are more than one. There is more than one modality. When I first started into my recovery journey, I thought there was only AA. And at that time, you know what? There probably wasn't much choice. I mean, that's it's 20-odd years since I've been in and out of sobriety. And so now there is huge amounts of resources. And I think it's important to, to, to speak out that everybody's different and everybody's going to respond to different things in different ways. And so it's, it's important that we know that because you might go and try AA and it might not work for you. Or you might try another one and that might not work for you. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll let, why don't we start with that? Don't we talk about yeah. your recovery and what methods worked for you? Yeah. I mean, the first time I actively sought help, I went to AA and that was after I'd um, started to develop physical health problems with it rather than recognising the, the other carnage that it was creating in my life. I mean, it, it was doing everything, but it was from a physical sense that I felt I needed to get it sorted first. And I went to AA and I, I just found it so um, depressing I think is the only way I can describe it. I just found it so depressing. I did get some good stuff out of it initially. I met some lovely people. I enjoyed the meetings in terms of I was inspired by by a lot of the speakers that were talking there and moved and touched. Um, but I did used to come away often feeling worse. Oh God, I can totally echo that. So when I went, I went to two meetings 
I went to the first one. I was like, I have to do this. This is my job. I have to go and do this. And I came out feeling like my whole soul had been sucked out and spat back in. It just felt like a little delicate sponge absorbing everything from everybody. And I was watching, in my judgmental way, lots of people drinking coffee like it was alcohol, like protectively and sucking on cigarettes and and it just my little delicate I was in such a delicate place and I couldn't handle it and so I went again and then I thought I can't do this I can't do this and I never went again but I gave myself the challenge that if I ever wanted to drink alcohol again I had to go to AA (laughs) (laughs) so in a way it really did work for me (laughs) but the other thing I wanted to tell you was I did a play um, a while back years and years ago now and it was about high-functioning heroin addicts. Yeah. It was um, really interesting. It was called The Country or Our Country. can't remember. Um, the Country, I think. And it was really cool play. And two of the characters were high-functioning heroin addicts. Yeah. And so we interviewed a guy who was a high, used to be a high-functioning heroin addict and had got clean. So we talked to him about this. And one of the things he said is, oh, my God, if you're going to go into recovery, for God's sake, give yourself the gift of going to NARC, like... Narc Anonymous. Yeah. Not AA. She's like, God, AA, everybody's so fucking depressed. Everybody's so down. It's also, if you go to Narc, it's like everybody's like, oh, all right, what can I get out of this? What can I do out of that? And it's just like, it's really good fun. I must admit, I did go to, um, I went to NA and I went to CA. NA, that's what I went called. to NA and CA. Um, What's CA? Uh, Cocaine Anonymous. Oh. Yeah, that was um, probably. After I had my children, I had so it says I've been in and out of this a few times, and I have tried the sort of twelve steps a couple of times. But to be honest, I have to put the disclaimer out there: I never actually did the steps. Yeah, I, I went to the meetings and I started it, and I tried to find a sponsor. So that that was the first time, and then and then I went back to drinking. But then, uh, you know, um, it's probably about ten years ago when I lost my sort of dear friendship with um my, my 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 sort of best friend of 20 years that that ended because of my behavior and a lot of that was to do with episodes that happened while I was drunk and so at that point I did try and actually they were just at the bottom of my road it was very handy and I went to a few of those and I found them um similar but different um but yeah I would say they were a bit they were a bit more they were different actually can't quite put my finger on why but they were another AA or a different they, they, they were 12 steps so they were following the 12 step program but and again I didn't do the steps I think I went for a bit and then just found it it just didn't resonate with me so yeah. I didn't I didn't feel inspired to go back and actually I did go back again after I was sexually assaulted a couple of years ago and I hit a massive rock bottom and a really really good friend of mine who I've known for years is in the rooms and um I called her and I was like, can I come to a meeting with you? I need help. Um, and she took me and I went to one in, in the centre of London. And I have to say, I mean, I only went to that one meeting, but I was really held there. I was in such a state and I, I remember sharing and I, I, I'm not very good at sharing in those rooms. I find it so nerve wracking, but I did share. And I just remember saying like, how bad does it have to get for me to want to, for me to want to sort this shit out? How bad does, what has to happen? To what lengths do I have to put myself in the you know how far do I have to push this before I wake up and there was a woman there who was 30 years sober and she gave me her coin for 30 years of sobriety and I've still got it in my purse and I carry it around every day honestly yeah yeah I can see your touch in your heart she was so beautiful to me and that is one of the really beautiful things about 
that community of, of AAers. Yeah, you get some, and I don't want to judge people, but you know, it can be difficult to hear people talking very negatively about their experiences and, and, and what feels like moaning and whining, but then you get some incredibly inspiring yeah. and uh, beautiful people as well. So I'm really aware that we're two people who didn't, we kind of jumped ahead to why AA didn't work for us, but we're two people for whom AA didn't work and we haven't done the 12 steps. So that is is also a yeah. curiosity to me. So we haven't done them. We haven't done them, but why haven't we done them? Mm. And so we can talk about that a bit later on. But yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people say, and I know there's like, there's the phrases that come out of the rooms, isn't there? You know, if it, if you work it, it works. If you work the 12 steps, it works. Yeah. But again, within that, I sort of, there's a little bit of me that's like, well, not every medicine works for every person. Like if you've got yeah. cancer and you get given a certain treatment and it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean that you did the medicine wrong. It just means it didn't work for you because it's not perhaps right for you. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you because you couldn't work it in the right way to make it work for you. So that's why I want to reiterate that there are different methods for different different people. Yeah, and it's standard practice in medical practice to talk long times about what medicine might be right for you and then to try it. And if it doesn't work, to try something else. Yeah, not to say you've you've failed because you didn't work it properly. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So tell me what did work for you. Well, I think it was a progression, a progression of things because um, around that time when I went back to AA and NA, I also found the Alan Carr's easy way to control alcohol. And you've done yeah. that as well, haven't you? No, I oh. did stop smoking. That's right. Yeah. So I, did, I read that book and that started to open my eyes to the fact that alcoholism in, it, in itself doesn't actually perhaps exist. It's actually a symptom of society that has created this epidemic of heavy drinking and that we are brainwashed to um, inherit a set of beliefs around the way alcohol functions in our life, what we're, how we're supposed to relate to it. And I mean, if you think about it, it was the first time I'd been introduced to the idea that, you know, if you, it's the only drug that if you stop taking it, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. Like for most drugs, if you stop taking it, people are like, oh, well done. You've given up that really addictive substance. But with alcohol, it's like, oh, oh, why don't you drink? What's the matter with you? You've got a problem. Or is the classic <laughs> line from somebody very close to me is like, oh, why do you have to be an alcoholic? Why can't you just cut down? Like you're making a drama out of this. And I it's kind of, the, the making a drama wasn't explicit. The rest was. And I just kind of said, well, that's just how it is working for me right now. Yeah. Oh no, my mum used to bring me bottles of wine as a gift when she saw me because she'd forgotten. People still forget to with me, even now, but it's yeah. usually people that are heavy drinkers. <laughs> yeah. Because they forget that we've had this conversation number number of times. You're coming out for a drink, fancy a beer? Like, no. no. I also got quite a lot of aggression. I remember one person in particular, I can't even remember her name. I just remember we were doing a course. I was doing my MSC. Yeah. Oh my god, and that brings back memories of blackouts I had during that time I drank all the way through that I can't believe that I passed it but once somebody when I stopped just after this course had finished who basically would say do you think you're better than me what because you weren't drinking yeah you think you're better than me you think you're you know that was the that was that was the energy coming from her and the kind of what do you mean you're not coming out are you not you too good to hang out with us now I was like no I'm not too good to hang out with you I'm in the early stages of recovering from alcohol addiction I'm not going to come to the pub which was not true, actually, because I didn't want to come to the pub for that energy. But I was seeing somebody who also was drinking a lot at the time. I was seeing him at the same time. And I used to go to the pub with him and drink pints of fizzy water as he drank his beer. 
And I would match him water for water, just <laughs> pissing all the time like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I didn't want to hang out with somebody who was being aggressive but he wasn't he was like no totally support you and he is the person who helped me massively by sleeping with somebody else ah yeah we we haven't had that we haven't had that conversation so let publicly, me so go on let me just say it. the day after I stopped drinking so that it was a Saturday night I was supposed to meet this lovely man who I was seeing and he didn't show up and I had this really bad inkling in my belly and we had agreed to show up and meet each other. I got fucking twatted. I was really, my belly was going, something's amiss. And um, I didn't hear from him all Sunday. And then he was at the same job as me. She said, can we go for lunch? We went for lunch. I went to AA on the Sunday, stopped drinking after my massive bender. I went to AA for the first meeting. Never picked up a drink since. And then on the Monday, he said, can we go for lunch? And when we got to lunch, he said, I've got something to tell you. I spent the day in bed with somebody yesterday. Somebody else. And I was, I mean, well into drama. And what it meant to me is full rejection of who I am. And he couldn't understand. He was like, what do you mean? It's not rejection of you. I've just done something. It's not to do with who you are. It's to do with who I am. And I could not understand that. And it was fucking heartbreaking because I did really love him. And... I wanted us to have a relationship properly and we weren't really, but anyway. And I didn't drink. I didn't drink. And I thought, I must go, you know, that would be exactly the trigger to drink. And it was the day after and I was like, I'm not wait- I'm not only doing this for half a day and I didn't drink. And through all of that, I didn't drink. So two years, three years down the line when I was alone in Australia and suicidal... And thinking, this is the only time I've thought about picking up a drink. I thought back to that and I thought, it wouldn't have helped then and it won't help now. You can jump off a cliff if you want, but you're not having a drink. It's not going to help. If you're going to jump off a cliff, you're going to do it clean and cold and sober. So in a way, he actually saved my life by yeah. sleeping with somebody else. I know. it's often Or that's... sleeping with them, whatever. But that's the thing, isn't it, that we're talking about? We, we think the things that are the worst, most terrible things in the world often are the things which really bring us that clarity and bring us that opportunity for transformation. So, yay, what was his... Oh, we don't want to say, don't need to say his name. But. I don't think he even knows the fact that that's... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this episode to him and say that was you, but I don't oh, want to say his name. Him. No, we don't need to say his name. I don't even know why I asked that, but... Um, so I keep interrupting you. Tell me oh, about yeah, how you got sober. No, 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 but this is good. It's all part of the story. Um, so the Alan Carr thing was the thing that introduced me to these ideas of perhaps the way society relates to alcohol in itself is as much of a problem, if not a bigger problem than your personal relationship to it. Um, and anyway, I, that's actually, that actually stopped me drinking for about four years. Wow. Yeah, I, I had to go back. So you can do seminars with this. You can read the book, but you can also go and attend a live event. And you literally go there for the day. And there's one in Wimbledon and there's, I think they're all over the country now. And you go and spend a day and they talk you through the ideas in the book, which are challenging all the beliefs that you have about alcohol. I can't have fun if I'm not drinking. Mm. I can't, um, I don't have confidence in certain situations if I'm not drinking or I need this to commiserate. I need this to celebrate. I need it for everything, basically. And it just smashed through all those beliefs. And it also showed me that that um, alcohol is a... It's something that really diminishes you within your life. It doesn't bring you into your power. It actually takes your power away from you because you're fucking hungover half the time and you're foggy as fuck. So it's not 
helping you live your best life and I, and I have a bit of a thing about personal development and wanting to sort of you know achieve that's part of my another addiction that I have yeah. over overachieving and so but that appealed to me within that message of like well I don't want to you know I want to be my best I want to reach my potential so I stopped drinking for four years and then when I picked up again I picked up in a big way because what I hadn't done was dealt with the underlying reasons as to why I was drinking which was essentially it was like a medication and so after I was um, assaulted that's when I got very serious about it and I said I went to an AA meeting but then I also came across the work of Holly Whitaker, who is for me for me what Melanie Tonya Evans is for narcissistic abuse recovery Holly Whitaker is, is this for me for alcohol recovery because she's a very brave and courageous young woman who is smashing through um, with absolute f- ferocity and, and rage about alcohol and then its role in society and and addiction in general but also how that relates to women because I think we have to really talk about the relationship between alcohol and women and it's it's you know scientifically proven or you know statistically proven that women are now uh, you know ahead of men in terms of how they consume alcohol and it's becoming an epidemic and there's more women presenting at drunk driving there's more women in hospital with alcohol related serious diseases and more women dying from alcohol related and also you know this this drug is at the foundations of domestic abuse and sexual assault it's the number one rape drug so it's 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 relationship to women again that was another thing that just fired me up but her her approach is a much more holistic approach and she looks at all aspects of what it is that you need as a human being to recover from any addiction and that's looking at your whole your whole life in its entirety, not just the addiction itself. Wow. Ooh, how about you? Tell me about your recovery journey. Well, mine was um, 1994. I spent the year in Canada with a slightly abusive partner. Slightly abusive. He was abusive. <laughs> he was a little bit abusive. Just a little bit abusive. <laughs> he was. Um, he was very clever. I may have spoken about him before. He was very clever. He was um, Iranian, absolutely beautiful, spoke beautiful, fluent French. Um, And I was hanging out with him and I was seeing him, even though I didn't want to see him. And he was violent. And he was also just, he was just, he was abusive. And also very charming. wonder what he was. Um, (coughs) And he said, you're an alcoholic. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, no, you are. So am I. I'm an alcoholic. I know I am. I stop from time to time because I know I'm an alcoholic. I know I'm an addict. But you don't know it and you are one. And I'm going to prove it to you because I'm going to stop drinking and you're not going to be able to. And he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so humiliating. <laughs> so humiliating because would, he would say, do you want me to go and get your beer then? And he would get, you know, I would go to the shop and he was like, you want to buy a beer, don't you? And I'd be like, yeah, I do. And so I'd buy a beer and drink it, and then I'd buy another one and drink that. In Canada, the the cans were like massive. It was very pleasing to me. In Canada, the pla- the cans are huge, so you buy a can of beer. It's not like buying a little can here. It's like buying a full pint, if not a litre, of beer. And so I was very angry with him, but I carried on drinking, and he stopped. And then I went back from Canada and went back home, carried on drinking. But he'd planted a seed, and I really was aware that I was self-medicated. Well, I wasn't aware that I was self-medicated, but I was aware that I had a problem with alcohol. And I tried to stop, and I tried to stop. 1997, I managed to stop smoking using the Anand car. Yeah. And it went really well. <clears throat> and even when twatted, I would just laugh at a cigarette and refuse it and turn it, give it back. 
somebody on about two days after I stopped smoking handed me a lit cigarette in a club when I was off my tits and I just went <laughs> and didn't have it and then I noticed over the next couple of years that as I got more drunk I was drinking every night and being very secretive I was secretly having a few fags and I had loved not having pains in my chest when I run and I'd loved losing all the people who hated me because I'd stopped smoking and they were still smoking and they were like oh you're a bitch (laughs) traitor (laughs) it was so funny and I loved not smoking and so I was I thought I've got to do something about this at the time I was a Samaritan volunteer and there was a woman there who um talked about this hypnotherapist that she went to see and she said oh he doesn't take clients he's not interested in new clients he says that if I meet somebody who's really ready to change he might see them but they'd have to pay for a consultation and then he might or he might not work with them you'd have to be really ready so already I was my hypnotized off my tits I was like this is the man I've got to work with and I went and it true to form he wasn't pulling any punches the first thing he said to me was if you've got an alcohol problem what the fuck are you doing here why are you not in AA? And then he pointed to his little shelf and he had, he said, I've been in AA for 25 years. And he pointed to his shelf and it was all this. And I was like, eh, you know, went, eh, I don't know. I hadn't been yet. I'm not sure about that. And he, and he interviewed me. And then he said, right, here's the deal. You pay for five sessions. You pay whether you turn up or not. You turn up on time every week. I do five sessions with you. That's it. You commit. If you're up for that, we work. I was like, yeah, 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 already, like, between that session and the next one was, um, I stopped drinking, went to AA and boyfriend situation, Mm -hmm. and I went to the next one, and he just talked at me the whole time, hypnotising the tits off me with stories, and I now understand, I've studied it, so I know how to do what he was doing, but I had no idea at the time, thank goodness, because my crazy brain would have gone, oh, I know what you're doing, I'm not taking it, but my, my frontal, you know, my, my conscious brain did not know what he was doing. Oh, amazing. He was hypnotising me. He was basically reprogramming all sorts of things. With my permission, I was going to a hypnotherapist. That's all right. You know? Yeah. And um, basically that has... I've not... I've no, never drunk again. If I if I take a mouthful of something that's got alcohol in, I go, oh, I can't eat that. None of the apologies. Like, I don't eat gluten, I don't eat cheese. But if there's something in it, I probably go, oh, no, it's not the end of the world. But alcohol? No, don't do it. But I've never done the steps. I've done a fuck load of personal development work to the point of nausea <laughs> but, and I, I'm continuing to do it and what's shifting over the last over the covid period actually is I will not become a better person for doing this work I might become a happier one but it's nothing to do with good and bad it's nothing yeah. to do I'm fine as I am in exactly the right place I'm not perfect and never will be it's yeah. a really hard thing to aim for um, and most of the problems in my life are coming from trying to be perfect or expecting perfection oh, from other God. people without communicating it. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm not stopping doing work, but I'm also letting go day by day of the idea that I'm going to be in some way better than myself oh, <laughs> by doing God. this work. <clears throat> I noticed that my voice is going, so I'm just going to do a cough. <clears throat> and I'm going to shut up for a minute. No, I mean, that's so fascinating and I can absolutely relate to the sort of perfectionist aspect of what you're talking about because I'm so, so driven by that myself. Unconsciously, I'm starting to really realise that about myself at the moment. And here's the thing. Here's what we're doing this whole podcast about. Any kind of addiction 
is a result of unresolved trauma. Whether that trauma comes from a traumatic event, from early developmental trauma, which means neglect or abuse or, you know, the kind of experiences you've had um, with sexual assault, it doesn't matter where it comes from. While it's unresolved, it will keep causing the problems. And I'm kind of quoting you back from all the Melanie Tonya Evans works. I find it so hard to say her name. Um, that it's a reflection when you get a trigger. It's a reflection to say, oh, well, there is still something there that I could really look at. And how can I be kind and nurture the the little part of me that's really hurting in this place? Mm. Yeah. <sighs> And what I'd just like to add is that I've done a lot of work and I still haven't done a 12-step and I still haven't looked at certain unresolved traumas and I still practice a whole load of addictive behaviours. <laughs> so do I. And I'd love to let go of a lot of them, but I'm really... The new practice is, and you're okay. Yeah. Hmm. What was it you said yesterday about shunting? What did I we were, chat, we were chatting about <laughs> shunting addictions around. No, just, I, don't, I can't remember, but just something about shunting from alcohol. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in recovery from alcohol. It's not what actually the terminology I use, but um, I don't drink. Yeah. But I shop. I do sad shopping. Do you know, I'm so glad that's not one of mine. It's my mum's and I think that's really put me off shopping. But here, shopping. here's the thing. I don't do high quality shopping. I do supermarket sad shopping. I can go into a supermarket two or three times a day if I'm sad. And then you suddenly confess that publicly on a podcast. And you think, oh my God, who the fuck am I? I can go from one safe smelling. I know how to do supermarkets. It's a safety thing. And it's a kind of, I can buy this thing. Successfully. Sometimes I, fi- yeah. And sometimes I find myself walking around the supermarket going, you know you don't need anything. You know you are, um, ooh, nice click. Yeah. Um, you know that you're practicing an addictive behavior here. But I also, you know, sugar, caffeine, ugh, just loads of things. Mm. TV binging when I'm, when I know what I need is rest and nurture, I'll probably TV binge. But I think, Why? But I think, you know, it's okay to, 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 to zone out every now and again. You know, like, one of the things that I learned through the Holy Course was that, essentially, one of the reasons why we start to sort of pick up alcohol in a, in a bigger way is because it serves a function. We think, when we first start using it, we think it's bringing us benefit, and we're using it as a tool. And there's so many tools that we can use to enhance our lives. So initially, that's why we're doing it. And it's also part of a survival. It's a survival thing, you know, like we have pleasure responses. There's a really good documentary called Pleasure Unwoven, which I watched as part of, of her course. And it's really looking at how the brain works. So one of the things that really helped me was to understand um medically maybe not medically scientifically how addiction takes hold of you and what's mm. happening um chemically in your body and in your brain as an addiction progresses because addictions you know are they diseases or are they you know so this is another question that we can we can look at in a minute but what i learned from that documentary is like the body is and the brain is hardwired to remember pleasure because that's what keeps you alive so if you're a caveman like hundreds of thousands of years ago if you find a tree full of beautiful berries your dopamine center kicks off and you remember that tree and you know exactly where it is and you remember the, the journey there and you know that when you get to that tree you're going to get your, your beautiful fruit is going to keep you alive, but it, it registers as a pleasure. And alcohol has the same 
effect on the body and on the brain and so do many drugs and things that hit that dopamine center so your body is hardwired to remember that and to want to repeat that experience so once i I had that knowledge. I was like, oh my God, I'm not just a massive twat. Because because we've made alcohol a morality issue. We've made it like, if you consume this in a bad way, you're a bad person. There's something wrong with you. Like you're, and because um, a lot of this, the recovery aspects are anonymous, again, that, that reinforces that label of, or that feeling of shame and stigma around that habit. But actually your body's hardwired to repeat these habits that bring pleasure. And initially alcohol brings pleasure. So that's why we keep repeating it. It's like you've got, it's a, your amygdala and your, your prefrontal pre- cortex or whatever, it's our hardwired to repeat that, that thing. And that's why it's really difficult to give up. And this is reminding me of something. I don't know if you said this or if I, if I listened to it on one of the many self-help audio books that I listen to all the time. Honestly, if anybody ever wants recommendations, I'm the self-help <laughs> me. So this, um, somebody said suspect it might have been Richard Wiseman the ritual of doing the thing so Mm -hmm. the journey to the tree yeah and knowing whether you know that journey that ritual is what kicks off the dopamine sensors yeah it does and you were rewarded by the dopamine for that not for drinking not for taking the berries so in fact for example if I want to stop tea I'm just thinking about this out loud if I want to stop drinking tea or making coffee I know that it's the ritual of unscrewing the little thing and putting the coffee in and screwing it up and putting it on the thing and watching it and I don't even want the coffee half the time so I could if I was willing to waste the money because it was wasting the money by going in my body or going down the drain I could just do the whole fucking ritual and then throw it down the drain and I'd still get the dopamine hit yeah but it wouldn't be curing me of needing that in order to get dopamine yeah and, 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 and actually one of the things that Holly puts into the course are creating new rituals, like recognising that it is a ritual, ah. but you can create a different ritual and use a different tool to fix, and fix isn't the right word, but to serve the function that the alcohol was serving for you or the, the illusion that you thought it was. So you, you sort of actively create new rituals and it's not about giving anything up, it's about replacing that with something different, something that doesn't hurt you and doesn't harm you physically and emotionally and psychologically in the way that alcohol or you know substitute that with any drug does you know Mm. so drinking a cup of tea is not going to affect you emotionally and psychologically in the way that drinking alcohol does so you know for me I've allowed myself to keep certain rituals which or certain habits which I know if I gave them up I would feel better for but ultimately I do get the pleasure from drinking that cup of tea and that's okay because why are we not allowed to feel pleasure you know like we're we're allowed that and it's okay yeah yeah wow interesting we've gone on a little journey already so anything else to add about how you about holly's program or oh gosh there's lots i can say about holly's program i mean i found it so amazingly interesting It, it for those of you who don't know what this this course is she when i was doing it it was called hip sobriety mm. and um Holly and her and one of her other another woman who's really a young woman who's speaking out about alcohol and especially how it relates to being a female is a woman called Laura McCowan and they have a podcast called Home which um, is a is yeah it's all looking at life through the lens of alcohol addiction and recovery and so um, 
she started her she started sort of coaching people one-on-one but she's developed this whole program and it, and it just looks at it in a much more holistic way so it takes on board exercise habits looks at relationships looks at your relationship to the substance but also what are your relationships like in your life and are they because this is what I was going to say before when you were talking about having a, a boyfriend who still drank when you didn't how was that for you because this is something that, you know, if you if you take alcohol out of someone's life, you have to readdress all of these things. Like if you're in a partnership with someone who's a heavy chronic drinker, yeah. how do you navigate that when you're stopping? It's really fucking hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what was that like for you? Well, it's interesting because I've got this in my head. There's this triangle and there's the substance itself and the environment. And I can't remember what the third one is when you're stopping breaking yeah. addiction. But the environment's really important. Because of the person he was, it was okay because he was playful it meant that we didn't continue our relationship I mean in the end that was an incredible five weeks of my life and by the end of those five weeks I had um got a job in another town I got two jobs on the same day and I was able to keep both of them but I'd got a job in another town and I decided to leave so I left town I was living with which where I was with him and we actually continued our relationship a little while yeah but so it was only for about five weeks but because of he him who he was he was absolutely supportive and if I'd tried to buy a beer he'd have gone fuck off you've stopped he didn't say let's not go to the pub because he was still an addict mm. and I don't I mean I think to say his name I don't think he would mind me saying that because it's been the journey that he's been on about that but um, and he's not an addict now, and he's the most delicious father to two kids, and I'm so happy that he is because he does it really well, and he's got these amazing children because he does it really well. Mm. And, you know, he's is on his journey. I, we all are back and forth all the time, but there we go. So it was all right because mm-hmm. of him, but there were lots of other environments in my life where it wasn't all right to be with those people, and that was really helpful Yeah, because... They were so vocal that it made it really clear who it's safe to be around right now for me in to be in support of this and who it's not. Yeah. Yeah, because the other aspect of that is also friendships. You, know, you, you have to look at everything. It's a huge... I mean, it's such a massive thing to do, to, mm. to take it. And, and I have, you know, so much... Well, I have love and respect for anybody and everybody. I really do. That's it. it, it I, I'm, but I really... When I see people who don't drink, I just, I just admire them. Because not not everybody. Some people never drink in the first place. It's never never their thing, or they never have an issue with it. But for me, it's been one of the hardest things I've ever ever had to do. I found it so hard. But this last time, I was I was ready. Yeah. That experience that I had, I was ready. That. But I don't think. But the thing is, I, I recognise I'd had experiences like that before, but I wasn't ready at that point to even begin to to properly stop because I had to have been through the the journey of of having been educated and you know looking at you know finding the Alan Carr stuff and also I'd lost a bunch of friends that I did that with by that point I was already had a lot of friends that didn't drink by that point and I found it very difficult to give up when I was in relationship with the father of my children because our relationship was based on hedonism initially I mean I love I love him to bits he's an amazing guy but our relationship was based on hedonism I can't get away from that fact and once I had these health problems and I had to stop drinking 
it created so many problems between us. And at that point, I was deeply unconscious and I felt that he had to support me in my journey of sobriety and that he should also, like, at times not drink to support me. And on reflection now, I realised... And, and I resented him and punished him when he didn't do that for me, mm. which is it's not his responsibility to do that for me. What I would do now, if I was in that situation, would be say, I realise I can't give this up while I'm around people that drink. I'm not expecting you to stop drinking. And therefore, I realised this relationship was perhaps not compatible anymore and that's no reflection on you this is just what I need to do for me but I wasn't anywhere near conscious or mature enough to do that at the time but the thing is we also need support so it's very interesting and by its very nature when we're in the point of rock bottom giving up alcohol we need support so it's really hard to separate those things talking of rock bottom one of the things that that curmudgeonly old hypnotherapist man said to me was it's a long road. How far do you want to get down it before you get off? You get off now? Because I was saying, well, I've not... The, you know, I know lots of people who drink more than me. And he was like, yeah, everybody knows somebody who drinks more than them. It's a really long road. Do you want to get off now or do you want to wait until you've really fucked everything up and then get off? Completely up to you. What do you fancy? And actually, he was being a bit facetious, but it really landed with me. And it's true. It doesn't matter where you get off the road. It doesn't matter. You're in the right place. So if you've gone, there was, we were listening to Holly's and Laura's podcast in the morning, weren't we? Yeah. Um, yesterday. And they were saying, Holly's criticised AA as, as being, I think we could possibly even move into this, criticised AA and people were backlashing saying, that's not okay to criticise AA and it is the way forward, which is always a danger sign to me. And basically she was saying, yeah, when you're in recovery, you look for loopholes. That's true. But that's just that's just part of it, isn't it? You look for loopholes. You're spending all your energy looking for loopholes. If you're lucky enough to get conscious of that, you think, oh, wow, that energy could go on recovery. But if you're not, then you look for the loophole and you get there and you do the next bit of your journey, which just happens to be drinking again. Yeah. And then coming out of it again. Or not. <laughs> yeah. And we're so deeply brainwashed around this subject. Another really good book is This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And Annie Grace is another woman who is, again, out there. And she talks about it from a purely scientific point of view. The AA route and the Holly route are, I guess, more spiritually based programs. Mm. But Annie Grace is pure science. So if you're someone who really balks at the idea of bringing spirituality into recovery, and there's many people that do, and that's totally um, valid, um, Annie Grace is a great resource because I think she's going more down the Alan Carr route of sort of challenging, um, you know, the society, the societal conditioning that we have around thingy and she was inspired by a book called you can heal your back pain by john sarno have you heard of that i have heard of that yeah so she said she read that book and then her back pain disappeared because she realized that it was a it was a set of beliefs that were causing her pain oh my god i still need i've had that book and i there we go i got off i didn't get off the road i had that book for years and never read it and then gave it away do you know what i did exactly the same thing i read half of it and then gave it away because i just couldn't quite get it in me not really i only picked it up because she talked about it and i've heard a few other people say they'd read the book and been cured of their back pain so i should read it because i've got fucking awful me too i've had back pain for 20 years and i say (laughs) that like a badge of honor so i know that it's time to fucking deal with it yeah But she was inspired by that book and, and the, the stuff that he was saying, which is like, this is all in your unconscious. All this stuff is in your unconscious, which again links in with the narcissistic abuse and trauma stuff. Because it is, it's, it's, it, you can't think your way out of this stuff, actually. You have to really look at the underlying subconscious programming that we've picked up 
And once you start to unpick that stuff, you know, things change. Things do change. But you can't be in control of them. And, the, and one of the symptoms, I would say, of um, trauma alongside addiction is needing to be in control of things. So it's part of that spectrum that you talked about of narcissism where the empath wants to be in control of everybody else's feelings, takes responsibility for, but in a way that's wanting to be in control of yeah. other people's responses to them mm-hmm. or other people's um, reactions. And actually, when you undo old traumas, it's a bit like the blame thing. One of the things you have to give up is being in control. And yeah. that's frightening for a lot of people. It's frightening for me. Fucking hell. It's terrifying. <laughs> Just to allow things to unfold <clears throat> as they're meant to and not and not try to make them a certain way that suits what you think you need. Yeah. And and it's it's a really good reminder because every time you're thinking this person should be doing anything that they're not doing. Yeah. It's control. It doesn't mean that any of us is wrong. You know, if I found somebody abusing somebody, I would be thinking I'll deal with my unresolved traumas in a minute right at this moment i'm going to try and stop that happening yeah but at the same time there's unresolved unresolved traumas are what causes a lot of what we perceive and we can't if can't cure them if we still need to stay in control Uh, yeah and that is where the so the aa step two i think number one is giving up is is releasing you have a problem number two or number three is Handing. Handing your power over to a higher power. Now, I didn't want to do AA partly because what I saw was this will become my experience and my identity for the rest of my life. I'm a person in recovery. My identity will remain I am an alcoholic and my life will be filled with meetings like this. I don't want my life to be like that. I don't want to be like any of the people that I've met so far. And I gave up on it. But I do believe that we are bigger than just us. And I do believe that connecting with whatever we perceive as this higher, this source energy, this higher power, this external to us and internal to us, when people say God is everywhere, that resonates to me, not as God, but as we are the divine, the divine is all around us. When you connect with that, Mm -hmm. when I connect with that, I feel held. And then I feel like, I am in a better position to do anything. I love that about AA. I don't like the terminology of it. Yeah, because it's like we have to take personal... We're talking about taking personal radical responsibility for our own healing. So there has to be... So so for me, I can't completely hand it all away. And I know I'm probably being facetious with the language and that might not be quite what is meant by it, but that's how I perceive it. And that's why I I can't quite... Because I want to actually reclaim my power, not give it away I want to bring that autonomy back to myself and go I do have the strength and the power and the resilience to do this I don't have to just surrender into labeling myself as this thing for the rest of my life I am now like a happy non-drinker I don't have I, I, I just don't even think about it I don't even question the decision I've got it tattooed on my arm never question the decision um because I don't who's that from is that a holly well, that's thing? actually never question the decision is from Alan Carr is it yeah it's that's one of the first things it's like once you've made that decision just never question it oh my god and that is the relief of my life having yeah. made that decision once you made that decision just don't question it oh. and i do you know what and i don't but the other the other thing that relates into what we're talking about is 
about sort of reclaiming your reclaiming your power is that thing around the sort of taking a you know the, that it's a moral that it becomes a moral issue it's like take a moral inventory of your life and your misdemeanors and then make amends for them now as a as a codependent pleasing woman I do that constantly anyway. <laughs> I never fucking stop analysing myself and whether I'm a good person, whether I'm a bad person, whether I've done the right thing, whether I did it. That is like my, my, my life's mantra. And part of the reason why I was numbing myself out with alcohol in the first place. So again, I understand that for a lot of people, they do, you know, people that, there are a lot of people that do need to self-reflect on their life who don't naturally do that. But I think as a lot of women just naturally do that anyway. So I actually want messages to be told to me like, I am lovable, I am worthy as I am, I am enough rather than I'm not good enough and I have to make amends for being this shit terrible person so again as a person who hasn't done it yeah what I understand about this yeah from talking to a friend is that and I'm not I'm not saying it works or it doesn't work I think any any methodology that says it's the only one is is a dangerous game it's a slippery slope the in the the purpose of the inventory is to It's a. I could rephrase it like what Ta- Melanie Tanya Evans says. Go on. As in, we're looking at our own traumas. It's not necessarily so. The moral inventory, the language. No, since it's moral, it feels like judgment. But yeah. what if it wasn't judgment? What if what you're doing with your moral inventory is saying, what are the bits of me I really don't like looking at? What are the what's my shadow side? And again, new age terminology. Where are my shadows? Can I sit with them with my arm around them instead of punching them in the face? Can I sit with them and be um, at ease with them? I'm thinking of Pema Children saying, if you're going to be depressed, fucking hell, commit. She doesn't say fucking hell because she's a nun. But she says, if you're going to do it, commit to a day of being as depressed as you possibly can be. Sit with your depression and love the shit out of it. We're doing this today. I'm yours. We're going to be depressed. I think wow. that's in when things fall apart because you know she's a Buddhist nun. She's an internationally renowned spiritual yeah, teacher. She suffers from depression a lot. Doesn't make things easier doing your work. In no. fact, it makes them harder, but it much more satisfying. At least you're struggling with your own stuff, not with stuff that you expect you're blaming somebody else on that you can't control. Yeah. And yet again, I feel I've gone off on one. No, but do you know what? I've just learned a lot from that. Actually, you're right because I think it's the language that is the issue. Because actually, you're right. What that what is that is essentially saying is it's like what is it within me that is driving this? So actually, it is or it is about yeah. taking personal responsibility. So that's really helped me to to reflect on that in a different way. So thank you <laughs> because that's that's totally true. But it's the language. I will take a fearless moral inventory of my yeah da da da. So perhaps um, for me. As I say, AA has helped millions of people and I wouldn't devalue it for a second. But for me, it didn't work. But perhaps if the language was more, it was updated, perhaps, or evolved. Well, as then, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, then it, then it might resonate in a, in, a, in a way that works for me or for others. So Russell Brand's book, Recovery, yeah. is fucking incredible. I listened to it as an audio book. So he's got Russell Brand doing his Russell Brand thing, which is quite fun and sometimes annoying. But basically, he has reinterpreted those steps he's re-languaged them oh brilliant i've got that book on my shelf i can't believe i'm not fucking it's incredible so it's um yeah we're just both looking at the computer screen to see how long we've been (laughs) great um so he's basically literally retranslated it in russell brand language so there's lots of swearing 
And he goes through each of the steps and talks about what each of those steps means to him. Yeah. Again, he serves as a sponsor. He, you know, it's become a big part of his life. That's the thing I think I'm resistant to. Because, I've, again, we're back to boils on asses. If I can get rid of them and stop them happening again, I don't need to commit my life necessarily to curing boils on asses. I don't feel the same way about healing from sexual abuse and trauma. I would like to commit my life to helping people heal from that. So that resonates with me. So I'm happy to make that a big part of my life now Yeah. in the work that I do. But I'm not happy to make alcohol as a symptom of that trauma the big part of my life. I want to focus on the what I see as the core. Yeah, and that's where I'm at as well. And um, I do love talking about addiction and alcohol, but <laughs> but it, but it, within the framework that feels more right to me. Mm. So, you know, even though I don't want to have to label myself as this thing and go to meetings for the rest of my life, I guess in some other ways I am still immersed in that, in that, yeah. in that. And sometimes that can be a pain in the arse because sometimes you just want to... I mean, I'm a really happy non-drinker. I don't think about drinking in itself, but I do think about recovery all the time yeah. and recovery from narcissistic abuse in particular. Yeah. But that brings its own set of head fuckery because, you know, you can find yourself when you're immersed in this stuff wanting to sort of just see everything through that lens and that can get... It can make you cynical and it can make you suspicious and deeply untrusting of life and things. But yeah. anyway, that's another podcast. In the next episode, <laughs> that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about... We're going to, last episode, we talked about narcissists and what they are and what that's like. But next episode, we're going to focus deeply on what is narcissistic abuse. Yeah. Um, and how does that feel? And and so we're going to go into that in loads of depth. Yeah. And I'm really excited about yeah, that. Yeah, me well. too. So let me just check. Have we got... Have we covered a lot, I we, think. I we have covered a lot. Covered and I'm aware that huge... we've been talking for quite a long time. Have we done an hour yet? I can't not tell. quite, not quite. Um, two things that I would love to cover before we stop. So alcohol and COVID. You oh, had some... yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I've been really noticing... Um, just among my sort of life circle of whatever. It's, that's all been done pretty much through Facebook and Zoom. But that drinking has really gone up. And it's not surprising because, as I say, it's a tool that we reach for to make us feel better when we're having a shit time. And and also when we're having a good time. So, you know, both shit and good times have been happening heightenedly recently yeah. with everyone locked in their houses with COVID. And drinking has gone through the roof. Apparently alcohol sales have just, you know, gone... They must have, like, at least double... It's, it's, a, it's a big problem. And... Um, I actually had somebody contact me um, last week asking me for help and saying, I know that you've quit alcohol. My drinking is out of control in this situation and I'm starting to wake up that I've got a massive problem. And so, yeah, it's... Uh, I think this is this is a time when a lot of people are starting to have this realisation, which is hopefully a good timing for this information to start coming out. But yeah. I mean, what's, your, what's your sort of I th- noticings around this? My noticings about COVID is that it's been, for me personally, I can only speak. I haven't lost anybody. I haven't been ill. I haven't been working because I haven't, you know, all of my work went. So I've had this amazing time actually where my stuff has been up. And I've talked to a lot of people where the stuff that needs to be looked at is up, which may mean it's very painful, which may mean things like, I realise now because of this, I am drinking like a fish, not me because I don't drink. 20 years but I'm drinking like shit I've got all my other stuff coming up so I think COVID and this this 
change of everything as was has been an incredible magnifying glass for what needs work. And you've still got to make the choice. Do you do that work or do you avoid that work? And sometimes you avoid it by drinking. And sometimes that drinking becomes so pointed that it can't be ignored anymore. Mm. And isn't that amazing? Being in pain is not the problem. This is what's coming up for me in COVID. Being in discomfort is not the problem. The discomfort is like a great big going, here's your work. Here's where you need to work. What can you not cope with? What makes you drink? And then it comes to the thing of, do you say something or do you not say something? I really want to mention that. What, to um, to a friend that's drinking? Yeah, let's say you notice a friend who's drinking a lot and drinking a lot and drinking a lot and talking about drinking... I mean, the thing about me is, you know, I can drink a lot, but I can really manage my life. You know, who mentions it to you? And obviously when people find out that I don't drink and I've just celebrated 20 years. So I've spoken about that because I'm really fucking proud of it and more than proud, grateful. Yeah. So then people start talking about their own alcohol use almost inevitably. Mm. So do you say something? It's an interesting one. I mean, I, I've reached a point where I don't really say anything to anyone unless they ask me specifically about it. Um, I think when you don't drink around people that drink heavily, it can make them feel really uncomfortable because it's like, especially if you're a really happy non-drinker and you're not going to meetings and, and going on about how hard it is to be sober and you're just actually really happy, people are a bit like, hang on, why is that person able to kind of live their life without this thing that I actually am starting to realise I need all the time? And it can make people feel uncomfortable and it can make them feel a bit resentful and a bit confused because it makes them question their own relationship with that substance. Yeah. Um, I've learned, I mean, sometimes some of my, I don't know, maybe I should be more vocal about it if I notice it in somebody, but my, I'm not very good at challenging people anyway. And so quite often when I do say something, it will come out sideways. Yeah. Oh God, I, I, I had a thing recently where um, I was in, in a group of people, it was a work situation and um, you know, actors are notoriously into drinking. That's perhaps one of the reasons why I ended up as an actor and uh, and also part of the reason why it enabled my drinking in such a big way. But at the end of the day, it's like, who's coming for a drink tonight? Who's coming for a drink tonight? And I remember somebody that I'd had a conversation with saying, I'm actually starting to wake up to the fact that I think I might be drinking too much and I'm going to try and avoid it. And I remember somebody asking, another person asking that person, are you coming for a drink tonight? And when they said no, they kind of put a pressure on them, which is like what pretty much everyone does. Oh, come for a drink. What's the matter with you? Come on, if you don't come, then I'm on my own. And, da, da, da. and, and I remember it just blurted out of my mouth. Please don't put pressure on people to drink alcohol if they say they don't want to have a drink. And that really triggered that person. And understandably, because, you know, it's okay. I no, didn't no, no, say no. it in the way which... But I, I just couldn't help myself. I've got my hand up in the air to say, what the fuck is wrong with that? Well, because I really upset that person. Well, that's no, not a problem. You didn't say you're an asshole because you're drinking. You're just saying she said no or he said no. Please don't put pressure on them. You're just speaking what's true for you. And that person doesn't like it. I know, but that person felt really attacked by me for doing that. And I felt awful after that this because I dearly love this person. Attacked doesn't mean that you attack them though no I didn't attack them I was just because I because I remember what that felt like as a person trying to not drink I remember that feeling of you know having that pressure put on you because as you say we're looking for the loopholes to to get out of making that decision that we've made for ourselves so and that's the other thing that I was going to say before it's like when we go back to that thing of like the the pleasure aspect of us that's woven into our hard wiring to want to repeat those pleasurable experiences you only have to end up in a place which if you've drunk in somewhere a lot 
and then you go there and try not to drink and you might go with all will and intention in the world you get there because of the environment because of all the memories that are in your you you, you, you will just find yourself going oh fuck it i'll have a drink yeah because that's your brain fulfilling its commitment to itself to provide that dopamine hit which it's trained to do so that's why you know like you need all that you do need support and you do need to be able to yeah this is why we need to change our, our views on the way we view alcohol in terms of like it's it's a drug it's a really addictive drug so what i'm hearing is an underlying belief that if you upset somebody then you've done harm to them i know and i'm hearing i hear it in myself and at the same time if i didn't like it when this man said to me that i've got an alcohol problem but thank fuck he did i didn't like it at all i was he wasn't the first a number of people had said to me for years you've got an alcohol problem or oh you people had mentioned it gently and I didn't hear it he mentioned it not gently and I fucking hated him for it but I heard it yeah and I'm not saying that it, it's there's not a right or wrong about it but I there's a there's a if I feel really strongly that it's not okay to be racist mm-hmm. this is a that's probably the worst example but if I said, if I feel very strongly that it's not okay, but I'm not going to speak out about it, not speak out about how I feel about it, not stand up for somebody when they're in a situation where they're being discriminated against, nothing's going to change. If I say, I'm not saying that you have to be different. I wish I hadn't said the racist thing. We might have to cut this out because it's so much more complex. Yeah. But basically, if I still apologize for myself and don't say it, how is it going to change? Am I willing to be unpopular? And then there's that line about, am I willing, Am I getting in somebody else's business? Yeah, am I driving somebody else's bus? It's, it's so difficult, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It is so difficult. And I suppose where I've come to in my life now is that thing of going, if I just live my, if I just live that, then that might inspire. I'm not, I'm not doing it to yes. inspire other people, but that's the way to influence is by just being it yourself yeah. and modeling it. And at some point, someone, and, and people quite often do, like this woman messaging me the other day and saying, when I met you last year, I was massively inspired by the way that you didn't drink alcohol. And we never talked about it at the time, but it really resonated with me. And now that I'm recognizing I've got a problem, you're the first person that I think of to come to with this stuff because I know you've been there. And so that's influencing and inspiring without having to say a thing and letting yes. people find it in their own in their own way in their own time yeah but Which it's is much more evolved it is evolved but it, but but does it does it inspire the same but that's what we're doing this for that's what we're making this podcast for this in itself somebody even if one person listens to this and says or thinks to themselves ah oh, there's hope here i can i can tackle this and i can do this because yeah. these two women have have done it yeah and they've done it happily and it's hard and it's fucking hard. and it's not hard forever no because once you've once you've made once you've kind of taken those steps whatever however those steps look for you everything changes oh i think that's a good place to end it. i think I it is do, as do well. a little dance <laughs> thank you so much sammy i really oh, enjoyed that me too thanks jude always a pleasure and please do listen to the this one, obviously, because you'll be listening to it. If you got this far, you have listened to it. Thank you very much. And next one is all about narcissistic abuse. So looking forward to 
hearing from you do feel free to contact us on the email address in the footer in the in the information about the podcast if you'd like to yeah please do and um you can also find us on facebook on instagram and uh, we're also on twitter believe it or not i'm not much of a tweeter but we are on those things i'm on twitter as a little spanish man i think that the other one is you (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway you can find us on those things so find us bye bye I see the fire burning As in my dream now Real as we are turning So what of love The moon and stars are asking While as the fire burns bright The night is passing Breaking in a fresh wind blowing